So you're talking about the MyPillow commercial? There, There's no segue between... It's uh, great. It's the kind of deep, healing, recuperative, restful sleep you deserve. Oh, wow. That's hey, what I hear. <laughs> hey, what are we talking about this week? Uh, uh, let's see. This week on the Interman Radio schedule, we are talking about... Oh. oh. It's uh, loving our brethren. Um, loving our brethren again. Did yeah. we talk about that last week? Uh, no, no. Last week, we talked about loving God. That it must have been the week before we talked. What could have been? Um, we talked about loving our neighbor in there at some point, didn't we? we? I mean, and our brother might not neighbor. necessarily be our neighbor. They might it not. Depends. So there's that's a different topic. Yeah, we, we can keep it whole fresh episode. on Interman Radio. It's always fresh. This is Interman Radio. Equipping the inner man for victory through Christ, one honest conversation at a time. So drop those excuses, pick up your Bibles, and recruit a friend. Well, I'm afraid I, I don't love my neighbor like I should. I have some fear of that. Right? Well, I'm glad that you brought that up because... In first hey, that John was a, that was a chapter segue. four, that was really smooth. They're not going to see that at all. In First John chapter four, he says that in uh, let's do verse eighteen. He says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Well, <clears throat> what kind of fear are we talking about here anyway? We're talking about fear of heights, fear of <laughs> spiders. Fear of, uh, <laughs> fear, well, he mentions punishment. Yes, right? he and, does. And in verse 17, just before this, he's talking about the day of judgment. Yeah, confidence in the day of judgment. Right, so is this a fear? What kind of fear is this? Is this a fear of death? Is this a fear of facing our maker? Uh, it seems like that could be the context here. Yeah, judgment is the is the topic when he says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Okay, but our audience wouldn't, uh, they would not relate to any of that at all, right? Spiders? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Fear. <clears throat> okay, so... Well, we might say not. Yeah. What if a person is a little uncomfortable laying in bed at night? You know, everything's quiet. You've turned your phone off so it's not dinging every 10 minutes during the night. <laughs> right. You finally have some peace and quiet, and you're laying there, and... And, and the thought of meeting your maker makes you just a hair uncomfortable because because maybe maybe you're not going to hear the words that well done good and faithful servant or maybe you have a fear of that or uh, what if the idea of life ending right now you think oh I there's just tomorrow a would be better for me right if, yeah. right what if someone's thinking that way I mean it's tempting to say to someone well you know Lighten up. I mean, come on, Eeyore. You know, quit. Uh, let, let's let's be a little bit more positive here. You're a Christian. You got the spirit. Let's go. Let's start thinking like it. Okay, well, that could be it. It could be. But what, what would we say to a person who might have some of that fear in them of life ending right now? Sure. Well, I, I think there's a couple things that that we would want to that we'd want to touch on. And, and the first is uh, that's not a, entirely an unhealthy thing. I mean, the idea that somebody has a has a, a reasonable has a has a has a has a, a fear of standing before the Lord. That's not necessarily a, a bad thing as long as we use it in a positive way. If if we're if our relationship with God is at a point where there should be some fear there, then that's okay. Now, 
we're talking about, if we really abide in God, then it casts out that kind of fear. All of us are going to stand. I think it's is it Romans 14, 12. Paul says we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. So all of us are going to have to individually stand up before the judgment seat of God. The books are going to be opened and we're going to be judged from the things written in the books if our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Right. But, you know, um, actually, 1 John 3 kind of talks about that in, in, uh, in short where he says in verse 20, he says in, uh, let's start in 19, we shall know by this that we are of the truth and shall assure our heart before him and whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And the context of chapter 3 is when we ask God, when we're, when we're praying. You know, we, whatever we ask, we receive from him. But the same, the same thing is true. If, our, if we have a guilty conscience, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And then back in John chapter 5, the second thing we'd want to touch on is in verse 24 where Jesus said, Truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but has passed out of death and into life. So for the, for the, for the Christian who is laying in bed at night while it's quiet, mm-hmm. is not thinking about spiders, mm-hmm. but rather standing before the judgment seat of God, he needs to remember that Christians have already passed out of judgment. So when the books are open for him, he's not judged necessarily on his deeds. He's judged by whether or not his name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Okay. So for us, it's not a question of, well, how good did you do? So what, okay, but if he's thinking about, say, verse 13 in this passage, uh huh. he's thinking, okay, because I know that uh, I'm abiding in him because he's given me his spirit. And we go to verse 14, and I'm bearing witness of him. Verse 15, I'm confessing him. If a person's thinking, you know, I'm not sure I've done enough of the bearing witness and confessing, and so I'm not really sure if I really do have his spirit. Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure if I am abiding because I'm not seeing those kinds of fruits. What do we say to that person? Well, that's a. it's good that they're making that kind of self-evaluation. But we have to make sure that when we're looking at those things, that we recognize that those are the fruits produced by abiding. They're not the causes mm. of the abiding. Okay. So somebody, I mean, you could go out and you could confess to any number of people that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That doesn't cause you to abide. Mm. But if we're abiding in God, then the result will be that you will confess. So if we don't see that kind of evidence, then we'd want to ask, why is that the case? Is it because we've, you know, we haven't spent sufficient time in, in really reprogramming and retraining our minds to work that way? Is it basically it boils down to we need to, to um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We need to, to emphasize the abiding in him part to produce those things rather than trying to use those things to produce the abiding. So we're not focusing on, okay, I got to start, I got to start confessing more. I got to start confessing more. It's more like, what is the reason why, what is the reason for this? Right. What needs to happen for me to be following through on these things? Uh, really, what it really is, is am I abiding? That's the, that's am the real I question. Am I abiding? And the person okay. who's, who's considering 
do I demonstrate the fruits of abiding is being honest. Mm. And that's a positive thing. Right. Just make sure that the effort goes into the abiding. Right. And, and how, what does that look like? <laughs> ah, <laughs> I got it in there. Well, <laughs> you know, a lot of that just comes down to spending some time in the scriptures, spending time praying to the Lord, you know, from the scriptures. Abiding is, is really seeking Christ. And there's, we don't need to dress that up. Mm-mm. You just, everybody needs to make sure that they make that a priority. Just like we abide with our, you know, with our wives, the the communication that exists there has to be a priority. And the same thing with our relationship with Christ. It has to be a priority. It doesn't have to be fancy, but it's got to be deliberate and it's got to be consistent in order to really constitute abiding. Okay, so moving on to verses 19 and 20 here. So John is pretty direct here. He's paraphrasing it. Actually, let's go ahead and read it. We'll read verses 19 and 20. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Hey, hello in there. Hey, what's so important? What you got here, that's worth living for. Love. You heard him? You could not ask for a more noble cause than that. Yeah, Sonny, true love is the greatest thing in the world. Except for a nice MLT, a mutton lettuce and tomato sandwich when the mutton is nice and lean and the tomatoes are ripe. They're so perky. I love that. But that's not what he said. He distinctly said, to blave. And as we all know, to blave means to bluff. Huh? So you're probably playing cards and he cheated. Liar! Liar! For the one who does not does not love his brother, <laughs> whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. Yeah, we might have to splice that in there a little bit and uh, kind of clean that up, Mark. <laughs> it's you. Okay, my turn. It's go time. <clears throat> John uh, doesn't mince any words here. It's easy sometimes for us to say, I love God. Yeah, sign me up. I love God. Everybody loves God? Yep. Good. Okay. God is easy to love. You love money? <laughs> you love freedom? I do. <laughs> you love God? Me too. <laughs> Everybody loves God because God's easy to love. God is the provider of all good things. God is the he's the unwavering light in our lives. God is all the all of that. God never needs to borrow 20 bucks or my lawnmower or yeah. you know, God is always there. So it's easy to love God. Amen, brother. <laughs> right now, my neighbor, on the other hand, he smells bad, and he want, and he returns my lawnmower empty, and that's different, right? I mean, my my brother in Christ can sometimes make demands of me in areas of forgiveness or perseverance or forbearance that God does not make. Sometimes they're not very lovable. That's, so you're saying yes, people exactly. can be kind of unlovable. Unlovable. At times. That's right. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everyone pause for just a moment and think about some folks. Someone who is yeah. unlovable. <laughs> right. Okay, everybody got one. Good. All right. So the way then that we have to deal with that is we have to get a we have to get around the unlovable person. The unlovable. What? That's right. We have to. We're going to love them in spite of themselves. Oh, you're not talking about giving them a wide berth, no. like avoiding them. That's <laughs> right, not what right. you mean. No, no. It's still our job to love our neighbor. It's still our job to love our brother. And verse 20, it's really uh, it's really important because it says there's no way around your neighbor to God. You can't love God and go around your neighbor. You've got to be able to love God 
through your neighbor. You know, for instance, when Jesus is, is uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you're presenting your offering there before the Lord and remember that your brother has something against you, mm-hmm. leave your offering there before the Lord on the altar and go your way. Right. First be reconciled to your brother and then come present your offering. Why would Jesus say that? Because our love of God or our relationship to God, with God, is limited by our relationship with our neighbor. It's the same uh, It's the same principle that causes the prayers of a husband who doesn't live with his wife in an understanding way mm-hmm. to be hindered because she also is a fellow heir of grace. She is your brother in Christ. And so if we don't treat her as a fellow heir of that grace, then our prayers are hindered. God's relationship with us is limited on the basis of how we love our neighbor. That's because we're limiting that relationship because if we don't love our neighbor, we really don't love God. If, um, well, Lucy, your daughter, was here at the table not, not long ago eating some goldfish, and you know, right. if, if I treat her badly, I have a problem with you. That is correct. Yeah. 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 I stole her goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's where I was right. going, Mark. Exactly. <laughs> we need to talk here. Yeah. All right. No, you're right. So what does that say about, about how we view the father if we treat the kids poorly. It is an accurate representation of how we really love God, really love God in the way that we treat our neighbor. And he, he talks about that in, uh, in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, doesn't he? He says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. So really, uh, and we're going to clean that up too. <laughs> yeah, whoever loves the Father... <clears throat> loves the child born of him. We can love people, not for their own sake, but we can love them for God's sake. If God loves them, then we love them. And this actually is, is tremendously freeing because I don't have to love someone on the basis of how they've treated me. I don't have to love someone on the basis of whether they deserve it. I can love someone completely independently from their own actions or attitudes. I can love them on the basis that they are God's child. And because I love God, therefore I love him. There's, uh, there's some good examples of that in the, well, even in the Old Testament. Um, you remember David extends a, uh, an invitation to Mephibosheth, um, who, is, who is not his son, it's Jonathan's son. But because of David's love for Jonathan, he invites Mephibosheth and treats him kindly because he had made a covenant with Jonathan. And so David, for the sake of his love for Jonathan extends that love to Mephibosheth, even though he really wasn't very deserving. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do kind of something similar. When we love God, we can extend that love to those who are his children. God does that even in a, a kind of a physical way. Was it Romans 11 when God kind of puts up with Israel for the sake of the fathers? For their sake, God's still going to... And so the gospel goes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So God's still keeping covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because he cared about their father. So he loves the child also. So if we care about God the way we say we do, we love God the way we say we do, then automatically that means we love people who who we would think are unlovable, people who might be a pain. People uh-huh. who might be, might take up time, they might not seem, all of that, because they are God's children. Now, but when he says children here, he's not. is he just talking about Christians, or is he talking about children in the broad sense, like his children in the sense of humanity? 
Because I could see how this passage would really be taken in verses 1 and 2 to just mean our Christian brothers and sisters. Sure. And I mm-hmm. would just ask, well, then, who is my neighbor? Mm. Jesus asked that. I think he or did. Or he was, he was asked that, I should say. Yes. Because yeah. you know, I'd like a little clarification as to who I really need to treat well. But is neighbor the same as brother? Well, I don't think the uh, treating... So, so I'll give an example. In, uh, was it, Matthew chapter 25, um, in the judgment there, he's got the <coughs> sheep on one side and the goats on the other side. Neither of them recognized when they gave either their, you know, a cup of water or went to see them in prison or they were hungry or sick or naked or any of those. Neither of them recognized who was and who wasn't at that time going to be a son of God. And right. for us to put ourselves in the position where we say, well, that might be my neighbor, but, but I brother. don't think he's got a very high likelihood of making child of God status, right. so I can be a little chintzy with the love of God. No, that doesn't work. <laughs> you know, when you put it that way, that sounds yeah. a little bit pharisaical, doesn't it? it? Yeah. A tad, a tad. <laughs> Who is my neighbor? Sorry, you didn't make the cut. <laughs> and technically, you're not a brother yet, so right. I can still treat you like dirt, yeah. and then, but someday... But I suppose, yeah, if you become a brother, then then you can <clears throat> borrow the, the lawnmower. <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> then all that changes, right? I guess I'm going to have to love you now. All right. <laughs> yep. So we really do put our efforts into loving God. And if we do that, the love of his children should follow. A lot of these things that we talk about in John are less mechanical than than maybe we make them appear <laughs> right when we you know we complicate a subject that is otherwise quite simple but it makes it more prof- yes yeah. professionally yeah but you know if somebody really loves god then they don't need to be told to love their neighbor right if they're not loving their neighbor then they need to be told that they need to love god because the love of his children should follow when we love god so when we're praying about people, and this is a good a good thing because yeah, yep. no one else can see you praying about somebody if it's between you and God and and your <laughs> right. your alone time with Him. Oh, that's a good that's a good thing to remember. Is uh, am I praying for other people? But when we're praying for people, we should pray about them the way God sees them, right? Because that would demonstrate that we are abiding in Him and that He and us. And uh, when we see people the way God sees them, that's a good indicator for us, isn't it? It is. Because we should want the same things for them that God wants. Mm-hmm. So if we can ask, for instance, that they might be forgiven, and God would grant that, wouldn't he? Because yeah. God wants that. God wants to forgive. And so if we love God, then we want the same thing for them that God wants for them. Right. So we might ask ourselves, well, you know, if God were in our place... What would he want? Uh, what would Jesus do? That's right. How would Jesus love? What does this person need? And that requires a little bit of creativity and, and wisdom on our part. How do I love my neighbor? Mm-hmm. How does my neighbor need to be loved? And it's going to be very different than the way that, that, the, um, that the world shows love. You know, there's a lot of, uh, of, uh, of buzz about um, community. Mm. And and the religious world has, of course, picked that up. And yeah. and so now churches are all about community. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not opposed to community. Um, I am opposed to the denominational world taking something which is religious and hijacking it for their own purposes. And I see that happen when, when people throw around this idea of community. And what it really means is, is we're going to, we're going to get together 
and we're going to do life together. Right. I love that right. one. Yeah, so like, let's do life. We do life together. We're going to chillax for Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're going to we're going to change each other's oil. Oh, because that's I see what you mean. that's really loving. You know, <clears throat> when you do that, you're you're loving your neighbor. That's that's what love your neighbor looks like. It looks like it looks like play dates and it looks like, you know, babysitting and it looks mm-hmm. like uh, borrowing a lawnmower and it looks like lending a lawnmower. L- right. Lending. Not borrowing. You're on the wrong side of the community I, thing. It there. always bugs me when people can I can I, you know, would you borrow me your lawnmower? No, no, I would. I would lend it to you, but I would not borrow it to you. They need to use the word you, correctly. Do, do you say that right after you say to get off my lawn? Is that, is <laughs> click, that click? Get off my lawn. That's right. Wow. <laughs> but that kind of love, the kind of, okay, you can borrow the mower. Okay, you can. That community baloney is not the way that we love our neighbor. Okay, wait, wait. Okay. Yeah, you, you're right. not, you're not, you're not selling me Mr. Cranky Pants. Okay, so. So. <laughs> You, the way you just phrase everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can borrow my lawnmower. Right. Yeah, if you, I mean, of course, if you have that attitude, then of course it's going to be a burden to you. No wonder why you'd hate the the concept of community. You're, <laughs> you're approaching it that way, right? I mean, yes. okay. So, so I'm playing with you a little bit uh-huh. here, but to to the degree of what you're saying, because I agree with what you're saying, is that the world has taken the idea of. Serving people around loving us, loving my neighbor, and right, it, but they're saying that if I do all these good things for the people around me, then that is proof that I'm loving God, and it's a substitute for loving God. Right, it's a substitute, but it, but it's not a substitute. Now, loving God does result in us loving our neighbor Most and brother. Of the time, that's right. right. Yeah, <laughs> unless <laughs> no, right, it, it does. Re- but I think what you're trying to say, very eloquently, by the way, yeah, is yeah. is that. You're trying to say that running around and doing a bunch of good things because we're part of a community is not proof that we love God. That's right. It's not a substitute right. for the love of God. We talked about earlier in chapter 4 that everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So <clears throat> the kind of love that we're talking about for people is not is not those things which sometimes are, are classified as community building— the kind of love that we have for our neighbor is a love that is concerned primarily about their soul. Right. And if that means if that means that they that they use the lawnmower sure. or that they need a place to stay or whatever it is that we're, you know, by all means, but that's the purpose. That's the purpose. That is the purpose. Not the thing not the good thing in and of itself. Their soul being saved yes. is the purpose. Yeah, right. This isn't going to the United Way dinner, charity United, dinner. You don't know. get a merit badge for this. Yeah, right. right. No, no. This, this You don't get to wear the little ribbon that tells everybody on your lapel that you care. <laughs> You're right. right? Yeah. So that's not what this is. Right. True love from God can result in a lot of the same actions, but from a very different motive. Yeah. And so, you know, we're back to that. Is that when it comes to the love of God and when it comes to the love of our neighbor... Motive is always at the core of what we're doing. So, you know, when we ask ourselves, why are we doing this? And I'm thankful that the scriptures lay out for us that kind of test that if we're, if we're not treating our brother with love, then we really don't love God. It helps, us to, it helps us to determine where we are and how we're doing in the love of God. But the motive has to be first. The motive has to be because I love God, therefore I'm going to love my neighbor out of love for him, out of love for God, 
love for my neighbor is produced. All those things are good. We just got to make sure that the horse here is before the cart and that the motive for all of the things that we do is love for God. And that should result in our abiding in him. That should result in our confessing. That should result in our loving our neighbor so that the love of God is really perfected in us so that as he is, so also are we in this world. And we'll see you next time on Inner Man Radio.